Thank you for joining us. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story to share, please visit us at adventure.church slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do so by giving online and help us bring messages like this one to you each and every week. Today's message is from our sermon series called Jimmy. In this series, we're receiving lessons from doubter-turned-disciple James, who also happens to be Jesus' little half-brother. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. I do. I do understand your frustrations with Chipotle for inconsistently caring carnitas, but, but Jimmy, I'd like to talk to you about what you're really frustrated with. I'd like to talk to you about your older brother. <laughs> My older brother. <laughs> oh, he was, uh, he was, how do you say, uh, kind of the one-upper, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I, uh, I uh, make my mom this music box this one time. <laughs> Spent three months working on this thing, and she loved it. I mean, it played her favorite song. Oh, it was, it was incredible. Just look at her face, right? And then, uh, then Jesus, Jesus gets home and begins to, to sing to it, you know, which I thought, I thought was nice, you know, at first. <laughs> Because then, after a while, he started singing the, the, the harmony to it, you know, all while still singing the melody. And then he started singing a, another harmony. <laughs> Imagine that. Three-part harmony from one voice. <laughs> My mom said it was as if the choirs of heaven were performing. <laughs> but how about that music box? We're going to unpack a, a very small portion of scripture. It's going to seem like a, a, a lunchable type of passage here, but I assure you, we've got a three-course meal, so you just stay tuned. We're diving into James three, thirteen, which says, Who is a wise man? and endued with knowledge among you. James comes at them with one of his baiting questions yet again. He says, let him shoe, or, you know, 21st century English, show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Good conversation. He's not simply talking about um, how we speak, but rather he's talking about your life, your works, in in the concept of a conversation, which is to say that we're really, really good at having one-liners, We're really good at stringing a couple good days together. But James is saying, I want you to prove it by a conversation, a lifetime of works done in meekness and wisdom. If you've got a real Bible, you can put your little finger there, and we're going to turn back now in time. If you're on the Adventure Church app, you can just simply scroll down. The next scripture is right there for you. We're jumping back in time, back in scripture, and I'm going to kind of let you know where we're going to land this plane here in just a little bit. In Judges 16.9, where we're picking up a story of a very, very famous individual that regardless whether you've been in church at all, you know this guy. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring Samson down, and his strength left him. Let's go ahead and pray one last time and ask God to speak to us. Father, we want your word, not my word, God. Father, we're in desperate need, Lord, of some direction today from you. 
God, we need you more than ever, and so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would anoint these words, that you would use your scripture to speak to every single individual's heart here in this room. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen. Uh, how many of you have bought a car in your lifetime by show of hands? This is your time where you get to participate the rest of the time. I just get to do the talking, okay? Okay, how many of you have bought a used car in your lifetime? Okay, looks like I got a good target audience. We'll proceed with this story, okay? Uh, a few years ago, I had moved to Columbus, and I realized that I needed a new vehicle, okay? I needed a new ride for two reasons. The first reason was that my car was getting old. It was about 12 years old, and it was a yellow Mitsubishi Lancer. And so I realized I didn't want to be single for the rest of my life, and I knew that needed to change, okay? So I needed an upgrade. And the second reason was I was starting a business out here, and I needed some, some room to haul my uh, uh, equipment around. And so upon realizing that I needed to buy a new car, all of a sudden it dawned on me that I had an incredible op- opportunity. I realized in this moment that I had perhaps for the first chance in my lifetime an opportunity to prove that I had become a man, Okay? Because up until this point, every other vehicle that I had purchased was purchased under the direct supervision of my very wise, very smart father, okay? And so I'm, I think I was right around, you know, 25 at the time. I'd been moving away, I'd been living away from Wisconsin, my home, uh, for about a year. And I said, you know what? It's time for me to prove to everyone back at home, I'm a big boy, okay? Things have changed, all right? Jacob makes big boy decisions. And I said, I'm going to buy this car. I'm I'm not going to tell my dad. I'm not going to ask my dad for what he thinks. And then I'm going to drive this thing back home, and he's going to look at me and say, son, son, I am well pleased. And so I get online the next day during my lunch hour, found a car that looked good, went to the dealership later that day, and bought it right there on the spot. And for anyone that's bought a used car, you know that's a great buying process. <laughs> a couple weeks later, went back home, and uh, dad came out to look at the car, starts walking around it, and Oh, looks good, looks good. I like this, I like this. So we walked inside, began to have a conversation. And he said, so, uh, so what'd you end up paying for it? And I said, well, I can tell you what they were asking. <laughs> because I got them down, I got them down a pretty considerate amount, okay, Dad? I wasn't settling for their asking price, okay? Because that's what I do, right? I tell them the way I want it. He's like, okay, great, that's awesome. What are your payments a month? You financing it? I said, yeah, I'm financing it. Come on, Dad, you know, I'm 25 years old, right? You know, I'm financing it. And, uh, and he said, okay, what are your p- payments? And I said, it's actually fitting well into my budget. I was really surprised at how low the payments are. And he's like, okay, great. And then he asked me, um, so what's the interest you're paying on it? At this point, my memory escaped me for whatever reason. And I was like, um, you know, I, I mean, who walks around with their interest rates in their pocket? Like, I don't know. I mean, uh, gosh. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, we're looking at a used car. So what are we thinking? Like seven, seven, eight, nine percent. I said, no bit higher. I said, oh, okay, okay, uh, 11 percent, you know, 12 percent, still cold. <laughs> he looks at me, he says, uh, w- w- what's the interest rate? And I said, uh, you know, I'm paying 18 uh, percent <clears throat> on that. And uh, huh, that was the same reaction my dad gave me. <laughs> and I looked at my dad's eyes and I saw disappointment, not with me, but with himself, that he had raised this son. At that moment, my dad left. He walked away, left the house, and I thought, oh my gosh, my dad literally just left me at the age of 25. This was the thing that put him over the edge. He comes back, and he hands me a check, and he says, I own you. 
here's your new interest rate at the Stephen Worth Bank, okay? I had great potential to make a really good decision. I thought I was a pretty smart guy. I thought I was a, a pretty intelligent dude, but even with the amount of potential that I had, I still created a problem. And here in the book of James, James is writing to a very similar type of person. He's writing to a group of Jewish Christians. They're Jewish because that's who they are. It's who their identity is. That's how they were brought up. They were brought up underneath the law. They were brought up under rules and regulations and religion. They had a lot of knowledge about God and how to live a life for him. But now Jesus has come. He's died. He's rose again. And they believe that he is, in fact, the Messiah. So now they are also Christian. And as a result, it puts them in, in a tough place because they've got all this knowledge about God and how to live for him, and they don't really know what to do it because Jesus came and kind of switzered everything upside down. All of a sudden, he shifted the paradigm, and, and all of a sudden, it wasn't based on religion and rules, but now it was based on relationship. And so they didn't know what to do with this doctrine and this knowledge, and because they didn't know what to do with it, they didn't know how to use it, they began to misuse it. And they began to create a culture of comparison. They began to leverage their knowledge, a strength within their mind, and they began to use it for their own personal benefit. And as a result, there was a lot of disorder. There was envy. And so James writes to them again, and he baits them in, in verse 13. He says, hey, who of you is a wise man who has knowledge? Okay, Which is equivalent to me asking, hey, who's the most humble person here? right? And you just wait for the arrogant hands to go up in the air, right? And so you can imagine these Jewish Christians reading this letter, and he's saying, hey, who's wise among you? Who, who's got knowledge? And they're nodding their heads, and they're like, that's me. Thank you, James, for finally recognizing my strengths. And then he turns it on him like he has done countless times within the book of James, and he says, okay, you've got something in your brain. I should be able to see it in your behavior. He says, prove it. I should be able to see it. And he's very, very specific in the way that, that he puts it. He says, not I want to see works of wisdom, not I want to see a, a long streak of good decisions and used cars with low interest rates, but rather he says, I want to see it in the works out of the meekness of wisdom. And at this point in my study this last week, I had to hit pause because even though I you know, grew up at a private Christian school, had lots of years of English and vocabulary, and took some classes in college as well, I ran upon a word here that I did not understand at all. I mean, I was way off with my understanding when I first read the word meekness. Okay, do you want to know what came into my head when I read the word meekness? You really want to know? I need at least one nod. Okay, great. Can you show them what came into my brain when I read the word meekness? Okay, some of you are looking very concerned, and you should be, but let me explain. You know that that Muppet's name is Beaker. I thought that Muppet's name was Meeker. <laughs> and I have good reason, because the way that he talks, what, it sounds like he's saying, meek, 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 meek. Which, by the way, if you have yet to watch Beaker Sings on YouTube, I highly encourage you to get online and watch that today, okay? It'll be the highlight of your day, only second to this powerful message that God is giving you right now. He's not talking about Beaker. He's talking about being meeker. He's talking about meekness. What James is saying here is that if you're going to be truly wise, you've also got to be truly meek. And I realize I'm not helping you yet. What he's saying here is that wisdom walks hand in hand with meekness, which is control. Meekness means to be tamed, 
it means to be submissive. He's saying wisdom walks under control. And so as he's talking to these Jewish Christians, he's saying, okay, you've got a lot of wisdom, per se. You've got a lot of knowledge in your head. But because Jesus is now in this situation, here's what you've got to do with the knowledge of your head. You've got to run it through who you know is in your heart. You've got good wisdom. You've got good knowledge, but you don't know how to use it. So here's the answer. You have to submit it to Jesus Christ who is now living within you. And what Jesus will then do is he'll take that knowledge, he'll take that wisdom, he'll take your strength, and he'll bring your potential in line with his purpose. Say it this way, to walk in wisdom of God is to be subject to God's will. The picture that I think really fits well here is is that of a stallion. Any horse people here? Horse people? I knew my fiance was going to raise her hand. Okay. Where's people? You've got these incredibly large and powerful beasts. I mean, have you ever put your hand on, on a huge horse and just felt the brute force within that creature, right? I, for one, would like to know how they develop so much lean muscle mass while living a carb diet, right? <laughs> like, you can be my dietitian. But there's so much power within this animal. But the thing about a stallion is, as long as it remains in the wild... It may be free, but it will go without a purpose. It's got a lot of potential, but if the potential is unrestrained, it will remain unpredictable and therefore unusable. And that's that's a good picture of us, I think. Where we know what we're good at, we might know our giftings, we might know what our strengths are, but in the presence of our strengths, there's also the presence of an unwilling heart to surrender it over to God and to let him use it for his purpose. And so therefore, we lack the wisdom that's required to use the God-given power for a God-honoring purpose. I would argue that our greatest inadequacy as Christians is not what we don't have, but rather what we do have that we don't use We live in a time where we're always, everyone's looking for the next best thing, especially within our nation right now. It's amazing how people sum up very complex situations into a very simple Facebook status, like that's the answer. And and we talk about legislation and we talk about this, this dream, this new opportunity. We've got to do all these things while completely overlooking the opportunity that is within our hands every single day. We talk about being a nation that loves others while not loving the people in our life. If we would stop visualizing an ideal situation and see the potential within our own hands, I have to believe that things would change. And the reason why, the reason why we don't have this type of wisdom, and here's our gut check for the day, okay, here's kind of a punch to the gut if you want to flex and, you know, get your abs, you know, tight, okay, here it is. The reason why is because we don't want that type of wisdom. We really don't. We want God's strength. We pray for that. We want his power. We want God's resources, but when it comes to his leading, hmm, I got that. We want God's access without his direction. We all want God's banking account number 
but we want to be CFO. We want to run the show. And as a result, this wisdom runs wild. And Peter, in, or rather James in verse 15 and 16, he says, he says, as long as that wisdom is at the reins, it's going to continue to create disorder. It's going to create chaos. Man, don't we see a whole lot of that in our world today? He likens this wisdom. Do you want to know how he describes this wisdom? He says it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and get this, he says it's demonic. Easy, James. (laughs) It's a Sunday morning, all right? It's totally against what God has in store for us. And where God has called us to live victoriously, we, time and time again, because we've got that type of wisdom, only experience defeat. Which brings us to our good friend Samson. Samson, who you and I probably know for two things, right? Number one, he had great strength. Perhaps the strongest individual ever to live. And then the second, you probably are thinking of his hair. You're thinking of a great calling on his life and a failure to keep a commitment. uh, Samson was born to a woman who had been barren for many years when the angel of the Lord came to her and said, you're going to have a son and he's going to be very, very special. He is going to be a deliverer of Israel. Israel, God's people, God's chosen people at the time, had come into captivity underneath the Philistines a very evil, pagan group of people. And they'd come under captivity because God allowed it. Because like you and me, Israel had a really hard time doing what God said. And so they find themselves enslaved, but all of a sudden God begins to speak. And he begins to say, there's going to be deliverance. You're not going to stay this way forever. I'm going to start a rescue mission, and I'm going to use your son, Samson, to do it. Great calling, But where there's great calling, rest assured, there is also a big commitment. And after giving the calling to his mother, he says, all right, and also I want you to commit him to the Nazarite vow, which is pretty simple stuff. Three points. You don't drink, you don't touch dead animals or carcasses, and you don't cut your hair. He's got a calling and a commitment. You know what I find is funny is the amount of blame that we put on God for a lack of calling when in reality it's our own ignorance to the commitment that came with it. I do this. Let me just preach to myself. If I get a little angry, just say, go easy on yourself. I blame God as if he doesn't want good things for me. I blame God as if he doesn't have great purpose for me. I blame God as if he has not called me to be strong and courageous as Joshua tells us to be. And in reality, I can look at many behaviors and routines that are completely contradictory to the commitment that God says, hey, if you keep this commitment, it's going to keep you in line with my calling. Maybe that's just me. Samson's got a great calling, he's got great commitment, and over time it becomes evidently clear that this man is indeed a deliverer because he's got this amazing strength. Bible says that one time he and his mom and dad were on a little Sunday stroll and a lion comes out to attack him. And where I would have ran, you know, for my light, sorry mom, sorry dad, Samson turns towards the lion, grabs it with his bare hands, and tears it apart. Probably had a bit of a problem with PETA on that one, but nonetheless, pretty amazing act of strength. On another occasion, he grabs the jawbone of a donkey and beats down a thousand of the enemy Philistines. 
And a third occasion, the Philistines had surrounded where he was and they were waiting for him to get up in the morning. He gets up in the middle of the night, goes out, sneaks out to the city walls, grabs the gates on the city entrance, picks them up out of the ground and marches them, scholars say, between 20 and 40 miles, totally disarming an entire city and making it open to harm. He had great strength. And where it would completely appear, any one of us would look at Samson and say, that's a man of God. Look at everything. And the Bible says that each and every time, the strength of God, the spirit of God rested on him and allowed him to do these things. But in the midst of God empowering him to do some great things, there was an underlying infatuation within Samson's heart for his own selfish will and desires, which is a challenge to all of us to check ourselves and not simply our surroundings. Because often, everything will be going right around us when in reality, within us, there is a war. And we're going in the opposite direction. It's only a matter of time before this struggle in Samson's heart begins to define itself in his life and the choices and the decisions that he makes, a.k.a. wisdom. And before you know it, he is leveraging, he is flexing, probably literally, because he's Samson, he's leveraging God's given power for his own personal pleasure. And you and I both know that in the climax of his story, he falls in love with the enemy itself. Good old Delilah. Good old Delilah. He just had to have her. And after numerous attempts, Delilah finally gets Samson to open up his mouth and spill the beans about the secret of his strength, which was his commitment. And so she calls in the barber, snip, 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 gives him a nice stylish haircut, probably a hard part on the side, and Samson's strength leaves him. She yells, the Philistines are here, as she's done every time. You know the story. I'm not going to run through it all. And she says, get up. You need to defend us. And he gets up, and the Bible says that Samson thought he would do just as he had always done because he did not know that the strength of God had left him. And as a result, the Philistines overtook him, put chains on him that he could not break, whereas in any other time he would have split them. And he finds himself detained by the very enemy that he was meant to destroy. We find him at the end of the story, broken, blind, and bound. Broken because the strength of God was no longer resting upon him. And he was unable to do and fulfill the purpose that God had called him to do. Blind because they had literally gouged out his eyes. And bound because now he is enslaved to the Philistines. Which is obviously a cause for celebration for the Philistines. And so they're, they're having a huge feast, huge party, huge celebration within their temple, a temple to their gods, not the one, only one god. And as they're celebrating, they find the need for some entertainment. And, and so they ask, hey, let, let's get Samson out here. And they begin to mock him and jeer him, the once great warrior, now a weak dog in their eyes. And Samson stumbles out, chains and all, and he looks at the younger servant that was leading him, and he says, take me and put me between the pillars. And he finds himself between the pillars that held up the entire temple, and he's at the lowest point of his life. But what we're about to see here is that oftentimes the lowest point of our lives prove to be the best points of reference. 
Because for the first time, broken, blind, and bound, Samson begins to see. And he places his hands upon the pillars. And he begins to pray to God for one last opportunity to fulfill the great calling that God had given him since his birth. But as Samson prays, he prays differently than he had done in prior times when he had asked for God's provision. He doesn't simply call God God or Lord or Father. He says, Yahweh Adonai, meaning Sovereign Lord, or in the simplest of terms, Master. I know who you are now, God. I'm so sorry that it took me until now to realize that the strength that I have only came from you and it's only to be used for you. I'm sorry, God, that you gave me such incredible potential and possibility, but because I got selfish and I allow it to be used for my own pleasure and purposes that that I'm here right now. But in this moment, God, I am recognizing who you are. You are master You are sovereign Lord. And he puts his hands up on the pillars, braces himself, and pushes. And as you and I both know, in the destruction of the temple and 3,000 Philistines, Samson did more in his death than he did in his entire life to fulfill his purpose as the deliverer of Israel. And I think there's a point to that. I think there's a really, really strong point that when we come to the ends of ourselves, that's when God really begins to work. I think there's a point in saying that when we find ourselves to be the most bound and almost blind where we don't know what's going on in our lives, that that's finally the moment that we begin to see, oh, this is, this is all that matters. Sometimes our own strengths, our own potential, our own knowledge of God distracts us from the very presence of God from the very nature of God, from the identity of God. I think there's a point in saying that when we finally allow our will, our ways to break down and be tamed, that's when God's wisdom begins to flow through. And so I wonder today, what potential lies within you that you have yet to even scratch the surface on simply because you have been resisting submission to God? And perhaps you're at a place in your life where you look back and you've got 5, 10, 15 years of your own decisions, wisdom, way of doing things. And much like Samson, you find yourself in between the pillars, totally confined by busy work schedules, routines, house payments, careers that you only do because you've got to make those house payments, bad relationships, maybe a broken marriage, bad business decisions, and deep in your heart you know Samson knew when he was there that it was his fault, and maybe you know that too, and it would seem that there would be no hope for you that you'd miss your opportunity, and you have no other choice but to settle and just Looks like this is my life now. Samson could have just said, looks like this is my life, my life as a slave. But rather, Samson puts himself in a position to display God's power one last time. 
I wonder what would happen in the midst of all of these struggles, in the, in the midst of all of these confines. I wonder what would happen if we began to pray like Samson prayed. Not simply to ask God to do great things. Not simply, get me out of here. Notice that Samson doesn't pray to get me out of here. He was brought to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And in the dying moment of his life, he could have very well said, God, I know you're master, can you get me out of here? But rather, he submits to God, the source of his power, and he also submits to the greatest purpose that God gave him, which was to free Israel. What would happen if we started to pray those prayers? What would happen if, like a stallion, we began to submit to God, the good master, the one that has good direction, who has a good plan for our lives rather than biting the bit and resisting his leadership in our lives. To be completely honest, our world needs more of that type of wisdom. I hear the two words, three words, not very good at counting, more than ever. I keep on hearing this. Our nation needs God more than ever, more than ever. Our world needs God more than ever, more than ever. There's some crazy stuff going on, but we've always needed God. We've always needed him. And perhaps much like Samson, we've been operating in our strength. We've been taking God's purpose and power, rather, and we've been utilizing it for ourselves, and all of a sudden we're finding that the hinges are loose and the doors are falling off, and that hmm, maybe our way of doing things isn't so grand after all. Maybe our wisdom, maybe the knowledge within our heads would be so much better suited to run by Jesus. And it's so easy to apply this. One point, surrender. God, what would you have me do? Yahweh, Adonai, sovereign Lord, I know who you are, therefore I know who I am. I am yours, I am your servant. God, I know that you've, you've gifted me. I know that you've blessed me. Take it, God. Take it. I surrender. I can't help but wonder what things would change in your life. In Samson's death, that's when he accomplished the most. You know what? We don't have to wait for a physical death to die to ourselves. We don't have to wait till the line flashes across the screen and there's no more pulse. T.D. Jakes would say, if you still got a pulse, you still got purpose. And it's never, ever too late to turn around. It's never, ever too late within your career. It's never too late within your marriage to stop and make a statement and say, God, this is yours. I'm done trying to figure this out. My wisdom has gotten me this far and then it screwed everything up. So you know what, God? Here I am, Lord. Have your way. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes, and just have a moment with God here real quick? There's nothing super spiritual about closing our eyes. It's just so that we can focus better. What type of wisdom do you want? What type of of way of life do you want? And what type of of wisdom have you been operating in? Has it been your own? Have Have you gone your own way? Have you made your own decisions? Have you served your own purpose? And what would happen if you submitted that to God? God's called you. 
Are you committed to him? God's gifted you. Are you putting that gift back into God's hands?